Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word. Father, how you um, also grab a hold of us and never let us go. Thank you for the love that you shared, showed us, Father, sending your son to die in our place. And Father, thank you that we can come together on a regular basis and partake in the Lord's Supper communion together as a body of believers. Father, I pray that you speak through me now and pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart, Father, and you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And Father, as we leave this place, we won't just be hearers of it, but we will be doers of it as well. I thank you for today. Move amongst us today. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it is great to be uh, here looking at this series, The Lord's Supper. It was really cool. As Jamie mentioned, we, we had baptisms over in the sanctuary, and we're going to do that from time to time. It's really powerful to be able to do that, to have baptisms, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, as Jamie gave us a great uh, kind of a word picture in our minds, that's exactly what it's like in Jerusalem. And I remember being there last year, and our tour guide was taking us through these, uh, through these streets and down one alley, past another, upstairs, down steps, and then finally we get up to this upper room. It was powerful, powerful to be there, powerful to be able to baptize people as well in the Jordan River. Again, powerful time. And we were, had a chance to celebrate communion there in Israel, which was really impactful because we did it in the garden too. And it was just amazing to be able to be there where Christ was celebrating the Lord's Supper. And we do that here once a month. We remember and reflect and we have our time of the Lord's Supper and it's always interesting to me because we'll go through the same uh, liturgy uh, for a Lord's Supper and we'll come and we'll read some of those things of the scripture that you just, we just read to you. But a lot of us don't understand really what it means. We just come and traditionally just come and take communion and then we kind of walk out as our monthly duty. But I know it's very important. It's very impactful. There was a lady I was talking to uh, a few weeks, two weeks ago actually, who was apologetics, felt so bad because she missed our communion Sunday that we had here. She couldn't be here or take it. And she said, I look forward to that, Jared, every single month. And so as pastors, we went out and uh, ministered communion to her, which we'll do from time to time. But it's important because we come together and remember what Christ did. But for some of us, it's just a tradition. We just come, we take the bread, we dip in the wine, or we just sip from the cup, and we head out of here. Go, okay, on to the, the next thing. And we really, as we go through it, we never really teach you on it. And let me tell you, once you understand what the Lord's Supper is all about, I think this is going to be a little bit more impactful for you. In order to understand the Lord's Supper, we have to look at the context in which it happened. I always say this. I feel like a broken record. Got to look at the context. Got to look at the context. Got to look at the context. But for today, it's even more so. And today, we're going to get, you're going to get a little history lesson. So forgive me, but it's important that we go through some of this so you know exactly what's happening. In order to understand the Lord's Supper, we've got to look at the few verses right before what Jamie just read, right before what's in your service sheet. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. We're in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12, not 17, 12. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. But it says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations? For you to eat the Passover. So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. So the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my great room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. 
So the disciples left, went to the city, found things that Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover and then Passover. And then we get into verse 17. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12th. And then we go into the passage we just read. We have to understand what, what's happening here is the Passover. Okay? In order to understand the Lord's Supper, you've got to understand something about the Passover itself. The Passover was something that was traditionally celebrated for years, hundreds of years, with the Jewish people. And it was a reminder of the significance of how they were freed from Egypt. And so they did this every year. Now, if you remember the story, maybe from way back in Sunday school, you remember how the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. Okay, Moses was sent to go free them. Okay, they're slaves in Egypt. And you remember the story. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, yes. And then he says, no. And then there's a plague. Plague of flies or locusts or some other, something else. And then finally the Pharaoh says yes. And then Moses uh, lets them go. And then he says no, they can't leave. And then there's another plague. Plague after plague ten times over. There's a plague of flies and locusts. And uh, there's a hailstorm. There's sores. If you remember, the cattle got sick. And every time the Pharaoh would say yes. And then he would say no. Ten plagues in all. Finally, the last plague was the plague where... Uh, God was going to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptian sons. Okay? So what he tells the Israelite peoples, he says, I want you to go kill a lamb and I want you to smear it on your door frames. So that one went, uh, that night when the angel comes to your house, they can, what, pass over to the next house. So that's where we get the term Passover. They're passing over. And so you've got to understand that this is something that they've traditionally done. And they, they have this feast here, Passover feast. Now, keep in mind that this happened, this Israelite captivity happened in 1400 B.C. I mean, we're talking about 1,000 years ago, before this time here, 1,400 years ago. And so the people knew that this is the tradition. You don't miss Passover, okay? You don't skip it. You don't, if you're a Jewish person, you won't say, oh, maybe next year. You, you partake in Passover. It's something you do. And as it said there in the verse, it's the festival of unleavened bread. Well, you have to understand, it's an eight-day celebration. And it always starts with a feast. And what they would do, too, is they would sacrifice lambs. Now, it's been reported that during the time of Jesus' day, that they sacrificed 250,000 lambs in the matter of a few hours. So that was the law. You had to sacrifice something. Something had to die as atonement for sin. And then they would have this feast. Okay? That's why the disciples asked there, we just read, where do you want us to go make preparations? The disciples knew this tradition. It was a big deal. You don't miss it. You don't skip steps. You know, I look at our own traditions here uh, in America. We don't have many, but I, I think of uh, Thanksgiving as if that's a major tra- uh, uh, tradition. But we have Thanksgiving. We all celebrate that meal. But we take a lot of liberties with Thanksgiving, don't we? I mean, I'm willing to bet the pilgrims did not have canned corn or uh, canned green beans. Uh, I'm willing to bet that the Indians didn't deep fry the turkey. Um, <laughs> Hey, let's, let's deep fry this piece. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet that, that they didn't have all the, all the, they didn't just go to the store and pick up all the stuff that we have now for Thanksgiving. I know my sister married an Italian guy, and one of the Italian traditions, I guess, is they have pasta, like before Thanksgiving meal. I've always told my sister, there's no way on earth the pilgrims had pasta before the turkey. <laughs> 
But we take variations. We can do that. With a Passover meal, you don't take variations. There are certain things that you had to do. And everything was meaningful. Everything had its purpose. Everything was designed for a reason. You know, here a few years ago, we had a Seder meal, which is uh, somebody would come in and explain all the traditions of the Passover uh, feast. And we hope to do that again sometime. Why? Because everything is significant to the preparation, to the food, to even how they ate. Look at verse 18 if you have your service sheets. Look at verse 18 in your Bible. It says, while they were reclining at the table eating. They were reclining because it was a reminder that only wealthy people had the luxury to recline while they ate. So they would always lean on their left side while they're eating the Passover meal as a reminder that we are free people. And that we can have the luxury of leaning back. So even how they ate was important. They reclined. Then there were certain uh, things at the meal that they had. Certain food items. Now, it's great because in a few weeks, when we get to Holy Week, we're going to have a Living Last Supper here. Most of you know what that is. We, uh, over in the sanctuary, it's a big deal for our church, our whole community, really, where we reenact the Lord's Supper. And I think it's interesting that they actually get the food, the, the actual food for this, on the table. Because this isn't, it's just not just random food. It's the real food. So let me go through a few of these with you. Again, it's Hill History. So, uh, and forgive me, some of these words are in Hebrew, and I got a B in Hebrew, so give me a little uh, grace on some of the pronunciations. But here's some of the food elements that you need to know, okay? First off, there's the hay rosette. The hay rosette. What it was was a mixture of apples and nuts and wine, and they would mix it all up into like a mash, and they would eat it. And what it was, it was a symbol of the mortar that they would use in the bricks. When they, were in, when they were in Egypt building Pharaoh's kingdom. So they would, they, would, uh, they would eat this mash as a reminder of the time in captivity and bondage. Then there's the Zaora. The Zaora was the meat, the shank bone of the lamb or neck or chicken, representing the lamb that was sacrificed and eaten during the time of the Passover. Then there's the Meor or the Katzeret. Those are bitter herbs, is what it was. And they would get these bitter herbs. Usually it was like horseradish or, uh, um, well, it says right there, or romaine lettuce. And what they would do is they would eat these bitter herbs, and it reminded them of the bitterness that they felt when they were in captivity. Bitterness that they felt when they were in captivity. Then there's the baitza. The baitza is an egg. It's hard-boiled and roasted. It served as a reminder of the festival sacrifice during the time of the temple. The Jews began to associate the egg with the loss of the temple. And then... There's the karpas, the karpas. Now, the karpas was, it was usually parsley or celery. And what they would do is they would take this stuff and they would dip it in salt water. Okay, and they would let the salt water drip off it. And the idea was, is to remind them of the tears that were shed. Tears of suffering and then turning to tears of joy. And then they would eat the karpas. And then there's the matzah. That's the unleavened bread that the Israelites took with them. It was the symbol, hey, they didn't have time to let the bread rise when, when that night when the angel of death was coming to kill all the firstborn sons, so they had to take it and leave in haste. But it was a reminder of God's provision for them. And then finally, there's the cups of wine. There's four cups of wine served at a Passover meal. Okay, and what you do is they would, they would dilute it, like two cups of water to one cup of wine, so that people wouldn't get drunk on it. The idea was it was to symbolize God's foremost promise to the people. And that comes from Exodus 6. It says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Okay, so what they would do is every part of this meal was structured. 
So they would always start with the first cup of wine to, to, to kick off the meal. And then after a time, they would eat the bitter herbs, and they would have the second cup of wine. After dinner, they would have the third cup of wine, and then they would sing some songs, and then they would have a final cup of wine to signify the end of the meal. And what would happen is traditionally, the youngest would come in, and he would, he would uh, say the, the, the Haggadah, which means, uh, tell me why we eat this meal. And the father, or whoever the head of the table was, he would go through the captivity, talk about the freedoms that they have. And then he would say at some point, let everyone who is hungry come eat. Let everyone who is needy come eat of this Passover meal. And then they would go through that tradition. One thing after another. No skipping steps. Now you may say, well, that's wonderful, Jared. Next time we have a Passover meal in our house, we'll make sure we take note of that so we can do this. The idea here is is that you understand that what happened at the Lord's Supper is that Christ came in and changed the tradition. He came in and changed the tradition. Look at verse 22. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. said, take, eat. This is my body. While they were eating. May not be much significance until you realize that when they were eating their main meal, it was supposed to be silent. Nobody was supposed to be talking. Christ comes in and starts talking. Then he takes the bread. And we see this every, we do this every month of communion. He takes the bread and breaks it. And what's he say? This is my body. Broken for you. For years, hundreds of years, the bread was, the, was a symbol of them being freed from the captivity in Egypt. Now Christ is coming and saying, no, no, no. It's not that anymore. It's this. It's not about the captivity. It's about this. It's about me. It's about what I'm doing for you now. Total change. I can just imagine the disciples' faces. You go through this tradition and this happens. And the only thing I can attribute it to is you get invited to a Thanksgiving meal and the people come out with tacos instead of a, a turkey. You go, I, I, what, why are we having tacos? The disciples must have had that same face like, wait a second. That's not what that means. It's not about your body. Jesus said, no, it is about my body. It's about my body being broken for you. It's a celebration of me about what I've done for you. Then after the meal, he took a cup, the third cup. Right after the meal, you would take another cup. And after you'd given thanks, it says in verse 23, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant, the covenant. And another gospel says, the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And we say that every day at the time we have communion. This is the blood poured out for you. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for you, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. New covenant. See, the disciples knew what a covenant was. A covenant was an unbreakable bond. It was a bond that you don't, it's not a loose promise. It's a promise that you're, it's a, a, that you're bound to. And the disciples already knew it because they already knew that the promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their forefathers a thousand years ago, that he was going to free him out of Egypt. Now here's a new covenant, a new bond. Jesus is saying, listen, here's a new bond, my blood being shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. No more lamb, no more sacrificial of 250,000 lambs. It's my blood that covers it all. It's a new covenant. It binds, that covenant binds Jesus to us. Church, this would be so powerful when we go to take communion next time. Because we have to understand that the God who saves us, 
on the cross, whose body was broken, his blood shed for us, not only saves us on the cross, but constantly comes after us. He's going to come take us home. We see that later in John 14. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. It's an unbreakable bond. He goes after us. He doesn't let us go. It's a good thing, too. Because what happened to the disciples right after the Lord's Supper? They go out and Peter denies them. The leader of the church is the first one to deny them. Look at verse 27. It says, uh, 27, uh, he says to Peter right away. He says, you will fall away. Talking to Peter, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's not about what you're doing, Peter. Disciples, it's not about what you've done. It's all about what I've done. Our Christianity is not about what we're doing, about the good works that we're doing, or how we're living our life, or coming to church. It's not about that. It's all about him and what he's done for us. Our Christianity is not about our, only about our commitment to Christ. It's about his commitment to us, a bond, a covenant, an unbreakable, that he'll come after us. He'll pursue us. We all need fresh starts, don't we? We all need fresh starts. We've all screwed up in various ways. What we need is a Savior. What we need is a Savior that we can come to and we say, Lord, I've sinned. I I ask that you forgive my sins. We understand when we, we ask for forgiveness, he's faithful, he's just, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why we prepare our hearts before we come to communion. So what? We don't come in an unworthy manner. That's what communion is all about. A lot of people feel like I can't take communion a certain day or... The way I lived my life the past month or week or day, I, I shouldn't take communion. I'm not, I shouldn't come. I was talking to a guy a few a while back, good friend of mine. And uh, he had just, uh, it just came out that he had a, a, a long addiction. And uh, came out to his family and uh, quite a few other people. And he was very remorseful about this addiction. And he came and he told me about it. And so we walked through the, the process of forgiveness. I said, you know, did you ask for forgiveness from the Lord? And so we sat there in my office and we prayed, God, forgive me. Lord, forgive I understand I'm wrong. Please forgive me. I said, did you, under, did you ask for forgiveness from your wife and your family? Yes, I've sought that. And then I said, did you forgive yourself? Because that's the hardest one. He said, no, I have all this guilt. I have all this weight. I said, that's not fair. You can't carry that around with you. You can't care. That means it's all about what you've done. That's what you have done. You cannot do that. You can't carry that around. That means that, that Christ's work on the cross isn't totally complete. It's almost complete, but you've got to do something else. You can't do that. He said, I just feel so bad. I feel like a hypocrite. I said, what are you talking about? You should have felt like a hypocrite a long time ago. Now it's come, up, come out. And he said, I said, I need to see you in church. He goes, I can't come to church. It's communion Sunday. And I... <laughs> This is where I get a little forceful with some guys. Some guys don't like it. A little more sensitive. But I said, you better get to church that on Sunday or I'm going to come after church. I'm going to come to your house and we're gonna, I'm going to kick something. So, <laughs> Because I, I felt it so passionately. I said, listen, communion is not about what you've done. It's not about how, how well you've lived your life. It's about coming and realizing what Christ has already done for you. It's a time of recommitment. It's a time of, of fresh starts. It's a place for sinners. Communion is the place to come. That's why we prepare our hearts. That's why we do that. We have a time of confession before all that. That's what communion is all about. 
That's what you remember next time we have communion. Now, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of letters, comments that we should have had communion today. I, I'm sure I will see that. Thank you. Thank you ahead of time. Um, didn't work out that way. But you know what? I want you to remember this every time you have communion. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you've done. It's all about what Christ did. His body broken, his blood shed for you. Why? Because something had to die for our sin, and Christ was the sacrifice for us. So we simply need to go and say, Lord, you know what? I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to come to you, but I realize I can't. I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you come in my life and be the Lord of my life. That's what I want. Thank you for being the Lord of my life. And we all come. It's not about being a member to come and have communion. Why? Because in the Bible it says, this, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. We all come. Do we believe that it literally turns into his body and blood? No, I don't believe that. We don't believe that. Why? Because his body hadn't broken yet. His blood had not been shed yet. But it's a reminder, a, a spiritual significance when we take that communion. And we remember what he's done. What a powerful thing it is to come to communion. Not only do we know that the, the bread isn't about bondage, it's about freedom. Not only know, now know that the blood, there's a new covenant, that Christ comes after us. But finally, we, we see here from the scripture that the Lord's Supper may not be totally over. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 is peculiar. It says, Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. I will never again drink of the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And I wonder, what? I never really understood what that verse meant. I mean, it's always in there. I never really understood what that verse meant until you, and it's really hard to understand what that verse meant until you realize what Passover is all about. You remember I told you there's four cups. There's one in the beginning, there's one after the bitter herbs, there's one after dinner, and there's one at the end of communion, at the end of the Lord's Supper. And so after a lot of research, I'm going to lean on some theologians here, it's becoming increasingly clear, it would appear that Jesus left the fourth cup on the table, meaning the supper's not over. Why? Because he still says he's going to draw us home. He still says, as I already read in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you with me so that you may be there also. It's still there. It's another promise. Was Christ's work uh, finished on the cross? Yes, we're redeemed. But yeah, he's going to draw all of us home. Anybody who knows and loves him as Lord and Savior, he's going to bring us all home one day. As Brad comes and leads us, we're going to remember, as we sing this last song, Jesus be the center. But Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why we take time, church. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. His work was finished on the cross. He said, it's finished. We're redeemed. It sure is. But there's still a promise there. Still a covenant. He's all going to bring us home. It doesn't say he's never going to drink the cup again. In fact, he says, I'm not going to drink it again until the kingdom of God. I'm not going to drink it again until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. It was once said, the cup that usually brought the Passover to the end. He would now drink at the beginning of time of endless fellowship in God's kingdom. Oh, church, how exciting that is. 
that we're still in the middle of the Passover. We're still in the middle of the Lord's Supper. It's not over. He's going to call us home someday. Why? Because he cares about us. He loves us. As Rochelle said up here, loves us more than you can ever imagine. He's not going to let us go. He comes after us in a mighty, mighty way. I'm so excited for that day. I'm so excited when we all, those of us that know and love him, call him Lord, we get to heaven. He's going to look each and every one of us in the eye and say, see, I told you, I, I, I told you, I promised you, I promised you I'd bring you home. Welcome home. And I can't wait for that time where maybe he's going to sit down at the table. He's going to sit down at the table and we're going to partake in the feast and he's going to, he's going to look at all of us and go, now, where did we leave off? Oh, yeah, the last cup. It's exciting. Exciting because it doesn't matter what goes on in this world around us that we know that we're all going to be home with him someday. And my prayer is for you, if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, it's as simple as just confessing your, confessing your sin to him, asking him to forgive you asking him to be the Lord of your life, realizing you can't do this on your own. It's all about what he did. And I'm excited because that day I'll sit around in heaven at the table with you as we finish the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Father, I thank you for the fact that you made a new covenant with us, Father. That it's your body being broken, your blood poured out for us, Father. It's not about what we've done, it's about what you've done. So help us to remember that as we come to the Lord's table in a few weeks. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here right now, Father, who doesn't call you Lord, who thinks that they're trying to do this on their own, Father, pray that you draw them close to you, Father. Help them to, to be bold and ask for forgiveness for you, knowing that you're listening. And Father, I pray that you wipe them clean as well. We thank you for doing that. And Father, I pray that they make you the Lord of their life as well. Father, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for rising again three days later so that we can have a relationship with you. And thank you for the promise that you've given to us. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.